Hello, I'm Buddha Z. Buddha Z here. Um, my actual Chinese name is Jen Shenlong, Spirit Wolf of Truth. And I'm here to piss you up. No, I'm here to share some enlightenment with you. <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, what enlightens a lot of people pisses them off because they're too busy defending what's wrong with them. But uh, anyway, today's uh, title, um, I planned this out a little bit. I've got a few of them mapped out here. Perspective is an attitude. An attitude. What's an attitude? Um, well, right now I got a kind of a sassy attitude. <laughs> you could have a pessimistic, uh, depressed attitude. Um, I, I guess I've just got a feeling very motivated to uh, get something done here and realizing I got more to do than I can do. And so it's kind of like, ah, okay, well, let's just, it's kind of like, I guess, walking through a mud puddle to get to the other side. You realize, well, I just got to do it. And, you know, but uh, sorry, I don't mean to make it sound like this podcast is a mud puddle, but. Um, Anyway, the um, let, let's just move on here before I say too many things that I don't really need to say. Uh, today's poem is going to be called, What is Love? And uh, this is, well, I've even got it. That's ironic here. Um, I was actually going to do, uh, do Life is Better Without My Glasses On. But like I told you in the last podcast, I was kind of hurrying to get rid of some poetry that I'd recorded in my car over a year ago. And so I gave you the poem already, Life is Better Without My Glasses On. So I'm moving ahead to the next poem I was scheduled uh, to uh, share with you. And this is called, What is Love? And I used to perform this uh, a poem. And uh, um, yeah, and, and I've got a little note that I made to myself or something. It says, written to piss off the I love you or yeah, I love love because love is love poets. And when I was performing uh, my poetry, I was actually Richard Del Connor, the philosopher poet. And when I would sign in on the uh, poetry open mic things and different events that I performed at, and I was in book fairs and stuff too, I always listed my name as Richard Del Connor, philosopher, poet. So they'd be kind of forced to call me the philosopher poet when they announced me. <laughs> and so, but right by the time after a year or so of performing two to three times a week, I was writing a poetry every day. A lot of my poetry was about Buddhism, as you might have already noticed. And so I was starting to think, well, okay, the Richard Del Connor philosopher poet doesn't seem to be gaining a lot of traction, even though I was playing flute and stuff. So I figured I could still play flute, but I'll call myself Buddha Z and uh, just focus on just telling Buddhist poetry. And I had a lot of it. And it keeps coming out. So I knew I could provide a, a, a wellspring, a, a large quantity of Buddhist poetry. And so... Um, this may not actually be one of them, but it was one that I, I decided would, it was kind of good because, well, in a way, it's, well, here we go. I'll share this with you. Buddhism is about improving your life and even more importantly, improving the life of others. Even all the novice monks, the people he didn't consider to be full disciples or anything, and he had up to 2,000 disciples at one time, they would go off and, and repeat his words and, and share his thing. And the whole thing about them being a Buddhist and the first generation of Buddhists was they could not be Buddhists unless they were helping other people. And if they weren't helping other people, then they weren't Buddhists. You know, they were just people coming in the crowd. But anyone who considered themselves to be a follower of Buddha had to help other people. So unless you're helping other people, you shouldn't call yourself a Buddhist. So uh, anyway, 
This poem is called What is Love? And this is a four-page poem, so that means it's probably about four minutes long, which would mean that I'd have to read it kind of quickly and then, because you get about five to six minutes, maybe seven minutes to do a show uh, in these open mics. And so I would have to make sure, and then I'd play my flute, and they'd get pissed off if you went over the time limit. There's always somebody with a stopwatch, you know, telling you, hey, get off, you know, <laughs> which was nice because most of the poetry that I did here, I got to admit, was... Uh, kind of boring. That's why I say these I love love poems. Oh, you used to hear all these uh, poems about I love love because love is love and love is love and love is love. Anyway, here we go. Here's something to piss all those people off. What is love? Here we go. Is it love providing what they need or is love providing what you want? Is it love Feeding them what is best? Or is love taking them to a restaurant? Is it love respecting whatever they desire, even if it's suicide? Or is love to destroy their angry fire? Or is love helping them to hide? Is love of any relation to sex? Or is love like hungry to eating? Should love decide what lover is next? Or is love who you are defeating? Should you love your job? What if it's using a gun? A lover should enjoy doing a good job, even if it's shooting enemies on the run. If you hate your job, should you hate the person who guided you to your daily grind? Is it them you should be cursing? Eventually, even the ugly ones of us will add love to our life. But when is actually love before us? How can we tell the difference between a girlfriend and a wife? I'm tempted to weave a poetic tale or inspect love from some other angles. Nowadays, here in the United States of America, love has become a web of legal tangles. Even in the pursuit of love, there are laws and rules to obey. That's why marriage was created to force a woman to stay. Turning the page here, my little book. This is the little book I carried around me when I was homeless and I was doing all these poetry readings. But even when marriage and love are sealed with a priest of God kiss, we cannot comply or satisfy whatever this thing called love is. What if I told you love does not exist? Show me scientific proof that each logical mind can insist this or that love has been isolated in our lab. We also isolated anger and some other mental patterns that are bad. Perhaps they can determine where love originates in the brain. Then we could design drugs, recreational scientific products, and learn how love can be trained. Actually, I need to wrap up this poem because I'd like to play a song on my flute. I'm imagining myself at a poetry reading with only a few minutes left to do it. Love is many things, concepts and beliefs. Love is a word we've attributed to all activities of compassion and sex. But it's none of those things. It's just a concept of what you plan to do.
And that was the poem, What is Love? Like I said, to kind of piss off all those people that think that just saying the word love and saying love is love and that, that, that made it a good poem. <laughs> okay, now let's see. I got a little couple of notes here. I'm supposed to be advertising my upcoming book, which hopefully has been published, maybe even by the time you hear this. It's going to be called, there's eight books in this series. And the first one is called, well, they're all called Four Noble Truths Explained by me, Buddha Z. And so I'm going to go under Buddha Z for all eight of these books. I'm Buddha Jen. Jen Shan Long was a Kung Fu instructor. So I'm kind of separating my identities out a little bit so I can dress differently. I don't have to wear a Kung Fu uniform when I'm Buddha Z. And uh, let's see. Um, in terms of the poetry lessons here about love, what can we say about love? Well, especially in America. Oh, my cat wants in the room. Hello there, bear. You just... <laughs> Whenever he hears me talking, he wants to get involved. Hi, bud. And, uh, yeah, hi. I just fed you, so I know you're not hungry. Well, I'm, what? well, I don't even know what you're talking about. Go eat your dry food, if that's what it is. I'll be with you in a minute there, bud. Let me finish my podcast. All right. So, anyway, um, let's see. The poem lessons. Uh, there's actually, I, I'm, I'm going to just reiterate this because I'm surprised how many people probably don't grasp this concept. But there's a love for a lover, which always involves sex. And everybody thinks first of that, that love is all about sex. Well, actually, love and sex probably are very rarely even connected. The, um, but there's a love for your child. You know, there's a love for your best friend. There's a love for your parents. Uh, there might be a love for your job. I mean, all these things. And, you know, and <laughs> none of these things have to deal with sex. So you need to look at love in a broader form. And, that, and so what is the difference between what is really love? Well, I would say it's, well, off the top of my head, I would say it's a couple of things. But one of it, it's an appreciation. You can't love something that you don't like. You know, you can't love... A, a, a smelly fart, you know, and that's, that's just, well, if you do, you're pretty warped. But <laughs> I was trying to figure something disgusting. Sorry about that. But anyway, you, you've got to learn to love something that you appreciate, something that you enjoy, something that you want more of. And uh, so love is about appreciation. And the other thing is, is that love is about caring. Love is actually wanting someone else to have a better life, to be healthier, to be happier, so if you hate a person, you don't want them to be happier. You want to deprive them of happiness, which is why hate is evil. Anyone you hate is someone that you are evil towards. And if you want to be an evil person, just hate someone. That's, that's the beginning of the whole process. <laughs> and then you can become evil. And you can do something to make them unhappy, which makes you an evil person. In fact, that's my definition of evil, is anything you do to make someone else's life less happy or healthy or what it, you know a negative that's evil and any person who does things to make someone else's life unhappier or less healthy is an evil person and that's my definition of evil so let's see there oh an album ad so i said the book is going to be four noble truths explained by buddha jen and there's going to be eight of them and yeah i didn't even totally close the door hi bud <laughs> I'm in my, my voiceover room, uh, one of my walk-in closets. I've got it all soundproofed, and it's really nice in here. And uh, hi there, Bear. He just won't let me close the door. Um, so anyway, let's see if I can wrap this up now. We've got you the poem. Um, let's see. 
Noble truth number one, let's see, is is basically, well, we're in the four noble truths, and I should probably just mention them all real real fast each time. Uh, noble truth number one is life sucks. Number two is all sucking ends. Number well, is that number three? I, I couldn't translate that, but that sure sounded like it. Number three is what can you do to make it end sooner or avoid it? And uh, noble truth number four is how do you live a life so that there's no unwanted suckage at all? So those are the four noble truths. And that's all there is to it. And uh, that's my... <laughs> I was listening to one of my earlier paraf- uh, podcasts, and that's how I paraphrased it. <laughs> People will probably complain about that. Uh, I've got better ways to explain it. But anyway, I've also got an album in which I do say, in which I can be a little less. See, now as Buddha Jen, I try to be more proper. I teach kids programs and adults and seniors and at schools and YMCAs, you know, and I've got an image of a Shaolin Kung Fu master. So I, I try not to be quite so sassy or sarcastic, you know, or cynical even. So that's why I like my image of Buddha Z. It gives me more room. It's kind of like me as the hippie coyote or kung fu cowboy, you know. I'm, I can kind of not, I can do things that as Richard Del Connor, the father, parent, school teacher, and PTA, you know, Mr. Mom, you know, I, you know, Richard, that was Richard Del Connor, nice pristine image. But as Kung Fu Cowboy and Hippie Coyote, I could kind of bend the rules a little more. So anyway, yeah, it's nice having multiple identities. Life is quite fun when you've got room to move within your life. So let's see. But that's what I was starting to say is I've also got a, as an, I'm going to be a recording artist, Buddha Z. And I recorded some songs back in 2015 and 2016 when I was writing some zombie screenplays. I've actually got four zombie screenplays that I've written back there, and I really want to make those movies. And uh, they're really good movies. In fact, I want to make them the best zombie movies ever made, and they're totally different than any movie you've ever seen. And I know that because I submitted them to a whole bunch of producers and some production companies, and every one of them said, these are the most different zombie screenplays we've ever seen. Well, I didn't show them all of them. I didn't show them the first one. But just the first one, they said they've never seen one. And and like I said, these are movie producers and directors and companies and uh, got some really good reviews on those. And hopefully nobody's going to steal my ideas. (laughs) But it's been five, six years, and I haven't noticed anybody doing that. So let's see. Those are movies. But anyway, I jumped ship there. Oh, no, I didn't. Because um, when I was doing that, I was recording some of the soundtracks. I let my music go into the zombie world. And so I became Kung Fu Cowboy, and I had a zombie backup band called Zombie 3. So Kung Fu Cowboy and Zombie 3 has one song you can get at iTunes. There's no bass or percussion on it. It's just me with two zombie guitar players. It's a trio of electric guitars. And the goal was to kind of make this heavy metal zombie music. And so if you want to see a precursor of what it's going to be recorded in my car, get the song um, Zombie Christmas by Kung Fu Cowboy and Zombie 3. You can get it at iTunes. Uh, and I decided to put it out there to see if I could make some money at least around Christmas time. <laughs> and uh, that's a, uh, yeah, Zombie Christmas by Kung Fu Cowboy and Zombie 3. But that song is going to go on one of my Buddha Z albums. I'll have these, uh, excuse me, those now, that's a whole series in itself. But Buddha Z, when I was doing that, I also did some heavy metal Buddhism music, okay? And and it's not like I'm going to sing about, oh, love is, love is Buddhism. No, I'm going to do that. So what I did was I actually wrote some really harsh poetry because at the time, back in 2015... It's not happening anymore, but there was a certain phase going on, and I saw it for like a two-year period in 2014 and 15. There was this period where you couldn't walk down the street without somebody rapping as they walked and recording it on their phone. 
Um, people would park uh, where I was parked sometimes, and they'd get, get there with a three, two or three cars of people, and they'd gather around this one person who was their rapper star, and they would all record him, and he'd perform for them, you know, right there on the street. And there was a big thing going on uh, some years ago. Everybody thought they could be a rap artist, I guess. It was, it was interesting. Like I said, you'd be hearing people just walking down the street rapping, and they'd, um, and I don't mean anything by this, but they were always black people. I don't think I ever saw a white person doing that, and I'm just saying that as a statistical fact <laughs> but but it was interesting and so I wrote some some rap poetry and I thought okay maybe I'll get one of these guys to perform it and I confronted a couple of those guys but their their whole concept was no no I can't actually even read it you know it's all it's got to come off the cuff I've got to improvise it's got to be something I do naturally and that's what they were doing you know they might have a couple of notes or an idea but they would always do it off the cuff and that was I think part of their challenge back then was to never be able to do it twice the same and to be able to do it at will without any lyrics or paperwork or consistent. It was an interesting phase that, that was happening, like I say, about six years ago. So anyway, I tried to I wrote some really sarcastic poetry and tried to get some of these guys to do it, and uh, they wouldn't. <laughs> they didn't want to do any whitey boy rap. And so anyway, I decided, well, okay, I'll do it myself. And so I recorded this really sarcastic, uh, I don't want to say hateful, but it was kind of bitter poetry. And, uh, and that was my, I called it uh, Buddhist anti, well, I called it Buddha Z's anti-rap rap. Because <laughs> actually I started writing poetry about rappers that I didn't like. And so it became rap music about rap music that I didn't like. So it was anti-rap. And I realized, well, that can't be a genre. <laughs> but, but that was the original concept of the album. And I got like half a dozen of these anti-rap songs. So anyway, throwing away the anti-rap label, I, I, I named it uh, uh, Buddha Rap. Okay, and then I thought, well, that's not really, in fact, actually, I didn't really, I don't think, call it Buddha rap until I finally wrote this one, which was called The Four Noble Truths of Buddhism. And it was a cool rap, or is a really cool rap song. In fact, I released it in China, and it, got, it went over really big in China, and my distributor won't uh, return my phone calls. He was actually, I guess, soliciting some people over the Internet uh, about sometime in the last year, and I saw him, and he's contacted me, hey, I see you've got music and this and that, you should release in China. And I said, I did. You you released my music in China. You know, how's it doing? He wouldn't, con he wouldn't contact me back. I sent him like two more emails and a, maybe a text, but he would not contact me back because he ripped me off. Whatever money he made or whatever on my songs, he, he released about half a dozen of my songs in China, and, and then I never heard from him. And, I, and the last I heard from him, he said, oh, man, your stuff's really going gangbusters, and then never heard from him again. <laughs> so he pocketed all the money, and now he won't talk to me. So somewhere in China, there are people perhaps listening to uh, to my rap music, or not my, well, that one rap song, that, that's the one rap song, and then a couple other rock songs that I wrote and uh, released. Anyway, let's see, where did I leave off? Oh yeah, so that album is going to be called, what's that first one? Well, should I tell you the name of it? I, I gotta change it. I, I mean, I really think it's going to cause me legal problems. So, yeah, I'm not going to tell you because I don't want this podcast to have legal problems because it is. It was so it was so hostile that I think the, the and I even drew an album cover, which is kind of hostile. <laughs> so I don't think I can use that, although I think it'd be good marketing because I'm trying, you know, that's all the uh, rap music I heard was very hostile. Never really heard much romantic rap music. It was mostly hostile and bitter and complaining. And but anyway, so. I, I, I kind of tried to tap into that market in my own way, and uh, I obviously probably 
bad idea, but couldn't help it. I, I kind of like was motivated to give it a try. So anyway, that first album, I don't know what it's going to be called. What I think it's going to be called, if I go with the, with a better flow that I, I could probably go a little farther with, is going to be calling it Buddha Rap. And I call myself a Buddhist rapper. So I've created this new genre of rap music called Buddha rap, which hopefully means maybe it's there to help people as opposed to hurt them or, you know, just complain because that's the direction I'd rather go. And uh, so my Buddha rap album and the first one by Buddha Z, it still hasn't been finished. And since I've been in this house, I've actually pulled uh, some drums into my little room here. And I was thinking, hey, I can do the overdubs and finish that record. And and then I didn't get around to it. So, um, yeah. In fact, I was really nervous about making sure. Well, anyway, I wanted to finish one year here and I've been here a year. So now I feel a little bit more confident I can make a little more noise. I didn't want to get evicted before one year because it'd be harder to get another place, <laughs> move to another place. Anyway, uh, where were we? So the Buddha Z rap album is maybe going to be called The Four Noble Truths of Buddhism. That's a much nicer title, but probably not as marketable as the one that I did have, which I'm not going to tell you. Um, although I did tell other people, everybody liked it, but I just don't, I think they could work against me. So it's, uh, yeah, anyway. Um, so what am I going to tell you? Oh, I had some notes here real quick. So let, let me tell you my notes, make sure I'm educating you and improving your life as much as I can. Um, let's see. Mental suffering is suffering. And, uh, that includes your job, your family, your health, your neighborhood and your climate. So in terms of noble truth, number one, you need to understand how you're suffering. And you may want to move to another country if you're not happy. You know, I mean, you got to eliminate your suffering, you know, so you got to face the facts. Buddhism isn't about ignoring the fact. It's about discovering the facts. It's science. It's actually the very first psychology. Buddhism was invented by Siddhartha Gautama 2,500 years ago, and it is the first psychology. And his lessons are all psychological. No mysticism, no gods, no prayer, no magic, no nothing. Just how to get along with people better. That's all Buddhism is. And then after that, of course, people added stuff to it, which some of it was good, but a lot of it was, yeah. <laughs> I could get into that, but let's not get negative. Ignorance equals self-suffering. Yeah, that's an interesting note here. So if you're ignorant, that means you're causing yourself to suffer. And uh, ignorance is, is really a horrible thing. And uh, when, you look to, I, when you look at all those people who were at the insurrection of the Capitol, there was not a Buddhist there. A Buddhist would never do that. Those people were looking to harm something, to stop something, to make some people's lives uncomfortable or to interrupt their business of doing government. I mean, I agree that there's things wrong with the government and I'd like to change things and whatever. But uh, that whole attitude and the way that they were doing was not a Buddhist method. There was not a Buddhist in that crowd. And I don't know how many hundreds of people were there, but there was not a single Buddhist there because, yeah, you couldn't be <laughs> because you're causing suffering and making people suffer. And that's impossible. You can't be a Buddhist and do that. And so you're a liar if you say you're a Buddhist and you're making people suffer. And... Um, your own mother may cause suffering, even trying to prevent, protect or prevent you um, from moving away to college. I made that note, you know. So sometimes people think that they're helping you when they're really just self-serving. They're doing something out of greed to keep you in their life, um, which is why we cry when someone dies. You know, a real Christian would say, oh, he's so lucky to be dead because now he's with God. And I remember when I was homeless, I used to go to a lot of the church um, 
meals every week. There was different churches who had things, so I knew the schedule. So I could have like two to three dinners, you know, cooked meals a week just at the park if you timed it right from the different churches. And then I would go to different churches and get free food and went to another place where I could wash my clothes for free. So I had the whole homeless thing down really good. But um, a lot of people work from greed and they think it's love. So uh, they cause suffering even when they think they're doing something good. So once again, ignorance, people that just, they're just not smart. And, and people, unfortunately, having lived in the, I was thinking of this earlier, I'm not sure how much to say, but I was really disappointed to realize that, you know, being a homeless person, um, when people found that out, they, they, they considered me to be, have leprosy. I mean, I was kind of scorned, scorned, scorned and spurned, but um, the, um, and I, but I can understand why. Almost half the people who are homeless are that way for many reasons that are really self-destructive and ignorant, you know, from drugs and drinking to just being ignorant to, I mean, a lot of them, I mean, even though, even a lot of those ignorant ones were people who had jobs working in a supermarket, even union jobs, but then they hit about 40 or 50 and they lose their job and they can't get another one and eventually, and then their wife divorces them and they got alimony and boom, they're bankrupt, broke and homeless and and they got nowhere to go and nothing to do. And they're not smart enough to find another job or another career. And they, they're, you know, and I know what it's like to be down there at the bottom. That's a hard place to change your life. <clears throat> you don't want to decide to start being non-ignorant when you get to that level. You should decide somewhere when things are going good that you want to be smarter, that you want to learn more things. When those, some of those people had their good jobs. I mean, a lot of those homeless people had, were very decent workers probably until they were like 40 years old. And uh, then they get replaced by a teenager. And plus they get raises and things. So then they can hire somebody at half their price or cheaper and, you know, and then they can't get a job and they're old, they're burned out. And, you know, especially if they've been drinking, I would say that not everybody was, well, I guess maybe you could maybe almost call them an alcoholic. But when I was in the homeless shelter with like 250 people, I did little surveys, you know, um, and I would ask people about drinking and booze. And I think I was the only person that I ever talked to who didn't like drinking. Every single person there, even if they weren't a current, you know, full-time alcoholic, they enjoyed drinking booze. And I've got to tell you, that's something I've never done. Back when I was a teenager and I was performing and I was doing, you know, keg parties as a guitar player in my band and stuff. And I'd drink a beer or two. But I remember a couple of times when I drank more than two beers and I got a little tipsy, I resented the whole experience. I was mad at myself. I was mad at the beer, whatever it was. I did not like being dizzy or losing control or not being able to play so well and not driving so well. And it was obviously, and I only had to have three beers a couple of times and try driving before I decided, nah, I'm not, this is, this is nuts. This is stupid. And so anyway, but people who like drinking, that's, that's a problem. And it was later, um, only a few years ago now, when I also came upon my five soul theory and I came to realize who has a drinking problem? Who has a drug problem? How is it that these people are supposedly born with these, these tendencies and uh, they can never get rid of them? And I actually can now explain it. I can scientifically explain why that is through my five soul theory. But anyway, let's see, getting on to this thing. Um, 
visit BuddhaZ.com. So go to BuddhaZ.com. That's my website, which I actually haven't been updating enough. It's about presenting right now all my daily Taoist. I recorded 69 podcast videos or these videos of me reading the Tao of Taoism and kind of explaining things. And they're really, really good. And probably the best explanation of Taoism you're ever going to find. I've checked all these millennials talking about, you know, uh, the stoicism or, you know, all these different things of philosophers and, and they're kids, you know, I mean, they're just, you know, high school kids making a school report and thinking that they know what's going on. I'm really, it's kind of amusing and cute, but, and they give you these little things. Oh, here's a, here's a five minutes of, anyway, I don't want to get too negative here, but, um, well, <laughs> but at BuddhaZ.com, I'm posting all these daily Taoists in which I'm explaining Taoism. And now to explain Taoism, you know, once again, I don't want to get negative, so how do I stay positive? Well, just stick with what I'm doing. What I'm doing is I'm basically taking the Taoism, the, by, written by Lao Tzu, the Tao Te Ching, and I've been teaching this since 1984 in various degrees to all my students, hundreds, well, almost thousands of students, about hundreds, you know, a lot, and thousands of them for brief periods. They've been in my schools or my life. And um, I've been able to see what works and what people can grasp. And I've also been able to see if somebody understands something, how it affects their life and how they come back to me and say, wow, that really improved my life. And I say, oh, well, thanks for telling me. Now I can kind of see and they explain things. And so I can see how a lot of these things are actually helpful to people. So that's what I do as I take Taoism and I condense it and reshape it so that you can use it. And I created this book, The Tao of Taoism, which is a question answer. It's one page. Uh, there's a little paragraph on top, which is the wisdom uh, that's written by Lao Tzu, and then a whole page of questions so you can figure out how to use that in your life. Because just giving you a, a cute parable or a, a cute little wisdom like two plus two isn't going to help you unless you learn how to use it in your life. And so that's what, that's what I do at Daily Taoist. So anyway, at BuddhaZ.com, I'm posting those uh, Daily Taoist uh, episodes. And if the home page is a blog, it's the only one of my websites that has a blog as a home page. So when you go there, you could scroll through, go to the oldest ones first, and then kind of work your way back up instead of going to the end of, end of the book, you know, down to the beginning. <laughs> so see if you can do that. I, I guarantee that that will be beneficial to you. Let's see. So where are we? Um, oh, it says I'm supposed to give you the black of night from level one equals peace of mind. Okay, so this is by uh, American Zen. And I've got another podcast where I talk about American Zen and the history of American Zen. So look up the history of American Zen as told by the hippie coyote, which, like I said, is one of my other identities. So I can talk about other things and wear different clothes and stay on different topics. And uh, so, yeah, and uh, this is going to be Black of Night. From the level one equals peace of mind by American Zen. In fact, I got to find a copy of that Rough Tracks. It's just, um, you know, because it's a four-track recorder that I recorded it on in my car. So it's, you know, it doesn't have a whole lot of music to it. Not as much as it's going to have when I'm done with that song. But it's got the song and a couple of guitars and, and then me, like, stomping my foot or clapping my hand or something for a rhythm or snapping my fingers. <laughs> I use that for basic percussion to kind of like, anyway. So uh, anyway, here's Black of Night from the Level One album which is called Peace of Mind. Level one equals peace of mind. Level two is Christ Killer. Level three is I Want You to Love Me. Level four is Kung Fu Cowboy. Level five is Pipe Carrier, when I actually became a pipe carrier of the Lakota Sioux. And number six is Vision Quest, which was when I went back to the Rosebud Reservation, the Pine Ridge uh, Reservation, anyway, back there in South Dakota with the Lakota Sioux and had my Hanbletchia. 
Number seven is about is end of the line when I was actually the Kung Fu cowboy and I was traveling around in my car with my cat <laughs> and being a stagehand. And uh, level eight is Memorial Day album, which is a spiritual album in which I'm kind of like communicating with soldiers of the past, telling me their war stories. So there we are. So level one. Um, here you go. This is Black of oh but let me tell you what the song is about this is when i first moved to utah in 1992 actually 91 right at the end of 91 and i wrote two songs right away while i was you know in my car and uh uh yeah this is might have been written in, yeah in fact it was i can i'm starting to remember I, and it was all snow outside and i'm in the car uh writing this song because we were sleeping in the basement of uh, somebody's, with their laundry room basement um, when we first moved. It was horrible. <laughs> well, going to Utah was a huge mistake. But a lot came out of it, a lot of events and things that uh, I tell stories about. And so if I'd made a million bucks off it by now, I'd say, oh, I'm so glad I went there. But I still haven't really profited from the experience. But here's, 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 here's Black of... So anyway, Black of Night is about everything being wrong. The Mormons chasing me, attacking me, and lawsuit, and the manager stole our rent. We paid rent or my wife did, and then they said we didn't, and so then they evicted us, and that's why we were in the basement of this house, even though we paid the rent, and it was just a mess. Ah, well, So anyway, this is Black of Night by American Zen. The air is of a dusty gray Burns my eyes, I turn away Sky up there in shades of coal Darkens hope within my soul My plans are cracked I've stored them all Take up my dreams In boxes in a wall Where should I go? What should I do? I don't know what Is the way to Where I'm going to Down. Broken legs, it makes no sound A child getting deep inside is freezing from nowhere to hide I brought my dreams into this place Not expecting winter to erase Where should I go? What should I do?
Sonst 